Hey everybody, welcome back to the Real Faith for Real Life podcast, where we talk about the intersection of life and faith. Today, in this episode, we're talking about the love that's in the air. Valentine's Day this week, apparently it's been canceled. Yeah, we'll learn about that. Plus, if you have trouble saying no, Gmail is coming to the rescue. Plus, we'll continue our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus. All that and more straight ahead on Real Faith for Real Life, a podcast from Cascade Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm terrible at Valentine's Day. I got my wife flowers. That's that's the extent of it. That's the sum of it. Me, that's the sum of it. Me too. I'm afraid to confess, but <laughs> she, my wife, is so sweet. She offered to go all the way to Sweetwater. You know this great this music store, as big as a mall. Yeah. Just so, just for me, she hates she hates that <laughs> stuff. But she she offered to drive two and a half hours there with me. Okay. We ended up not going, but the, she offered it. it was, that was <laughs> substantially, yeah, so yeah. romantic. <laughs> but, you know, in the news this week, I saw this story uh, that if maybe, maybe unlike us, you do not like Valentine's Day. Uh, so brands are now giving customers the chance to opt out of having to hear about it. <laughs> so, you know, everybody's marketing everything, including Valentine's Day. But if you have a problem with romance, maybe those ads and promotions... They just cause you anxiety and depression. So retailers, florists, and others—they're they're allowing people to opt out and not be inundated with these ads that <laughs> will hurt them. So, what do you think, Brian? Is that a smart move? You're into marketing, right? It's interesting. I yeah. mean, you always have the option to opt out of things, right? But right. what are the implications of other holidays too? Because Ooh. you know, obviously, if you're single, Valentine's Day has kind of a connotation attached to it, but. Mm-hmm. What about things like Mother's Day or Father's Day or even Christmas, right? Ooh, yeah. Do we have to customize it that much? You just sign up for the email list, you get a list of things you don't want to hear about. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I'm actually uh, on an unsubscribing spree right now. I just got so tired of getting so many emails, so... Not only uh, Valentine's Day, I'm just unsubscribing from everything. Right. Continuing the effort to try to simplify <laughs> my life and focus on what's important. Gmail has made that yeah. easier. Yeah, what a segue. There's like a little unsubscribe link right at the top of a lot of emails, so that yeah. makes it easier. Gmail to the rescue. They're also helping us learn how to say no to anything, anytime. So I like it. Not just spam email, not just junk email, but you want to say no to somebody, but you don't know how to. <laughs> now Gmail offers templates to, to help you learn how to do that. And it's really, it's a, it's a third-party plugin. So it's starterstory.com slash how-to-say-no. <laughs> Super rolls right off the top. Yeah. <laughs> starterstory.com slash how-to-say-no. They offer 31 templates that you can import into Gmail. And they're actually written by people like Tim Ferriss, Michael Hyatt, and even Casey Neistat. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know those names or not, but really yep. impressive people. And yep. they're teaching you how to say no. So they have these cool templates. They're like, hi, fill in the blank. Thanks for thinking of me for this project. However, I'm going to have to turn it down. I want to ensure I continue to do my best with my existing workload. And my plate's a little too full for that. And thanks in advance for your understanding. Uh, And it it just goes on and on from there. My favorite, though, is from Steve Jobs. Okay. So his template (laughs) for how to say no, honestly, is just this. Please leave us alone. (laughs) All right. 
And that was an actual email he sent somebody. It was just a college journalist trying to get an interview. <laughs> that sounds like Steve Jobs. Just leave us alone. Yeah. I love that. But, you know, again, talking about the intersection of faith and life here, it is important to be able to say no. But as Christians, it's sometimes hard, too. You, yep. you want to be loving to people, and it feels unloving to say no. But if you look at it deeply, I think in the Christian life, um, God wants us to focus on the most important things. And so saying yes as well as saying no is an important part of Absolutely. good decision-making. So, uh, But that doesn't make it any easier. So thankfully, we have Gmail templates <laughs> hey. to help us prioritize what's important in life and say no. That's right. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to continue our Bible study. We're looking at the difficult sayings of Jesus. We're asking, did Jesus really say that? So we're going to continue today by looking at John 6. All right, so we are wrapping up this three-part series of Did Jesus Really Say That? Mm -hmm. Looking at some of the more difficult sayings that we see throughout the Gospels. Um, So today we're looking at... um, a, a different one. Yes. Yeah. This is the grand finale today. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so we're going to kick off, before I even tell you what it is, uh, we're going to kick off by reading John chapter 6. And we're going to pick up in verse 48. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's a lot to take in. There's a lot of lot going on there, right? Yes. So let's just cut straight to the point. What is happening here? How do we interpret what's what Jesus is saying? Yeah, so the difficult saying is, drink my blood yeah. and eat my flesh. And the proper interpretation starts with understanding that, of course, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. Technically speaking, this is a mashal. It is a paradoxical saying that's veiled and pointed, almost like a riddle. And Jewish literature is actually full of that type of saying. And so, his original audience should have been at least somewhat familiar with this type of thing. Um, But on today's show, we'll just call it a metaphor for the rest of the show because, you know, mashal is a little uppity or whatever. No, it's just, let's use the word we know and our our listeners know. (laughs) It's a metaphor, right? We use them all the time. And actually, the Bible is full of metaphors, too. Think Mm -hmm. of some of the most common passages. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. Well, your soul doesn't really pant. You know, it's a metaphor. Jeremiah said that God's words were found and he ate them. Mm-hmm. He didn't really eat word. You can't eat a word, right? It's a metaphor. And Jesus even said we should hunger and thirst after righteousness. So, yeah, yeah. the Bible has lots of metaphorical language. And when we look at the book of John specifically, he uses a lot of metaphorical language from Jesus in his gospel. Yeah, the book is actually organized around metaphorical statements. So, uh, John has seven I am statements, Jesus' identity. Mm -hmm. Chapter 6, I am the bread of life. 
Chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And he goes on, chapter 10, the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd, uh, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine in chapter 15. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, Jesus isn't a literal vine or a literal gate or literal light even, right? It's a metaphor. He's not literally water, but he's like water. That's what he told the woman at the well. So, again, another thing from John that wasn't even in that list, but yeah. when he talked to the Samaritan woman at the well, he, he called himself this water that would quench her thirst. Uh, he spoke this way all the time, but also people misunderstood him all the time. That's the other thing you have to understand about the book of John. Mm-hmm. So, in that example with the woman at the well, she said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So, yeah, I think that's step one here of getting to the bottom of this, is not making the error that we see people in John make, and that's reading this overly literally. No, it's, it's a metaphor. So, we know that it's a metaphor. What does this metaphor in particular mean for us? Yeah, so I think the best way to understand any metaphor is to look and see if the person who is using it is giving you the key to understand it. And I think Jesus does that. It's just outside of the verses we read earlier. It's in verse 35, so John six thirty-five, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, there's the metaphor, and now plainly stated, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so, he's putting side by side the metaphor and the literal here. And I think that means he's trying to say eating and drinking is like coming to him and believing in him. Okay. So, you know, we have to accept that this is what he's getting at in the broader context of all of chapter six. He's saying, you know, to offer something that humanity desperately needs is what he's doing. And to receive it, we have to come to him and we have to believe in him. We have to have faith in short. And apparently eating is a good picture of faith. Yeah, it's confusing at first, but I think it really is. Okay. Uh, think about, okay, do we have anything here? No. The no. one time I don't have food or drink in the studio. <laughs> but, you know, thinking about food is not the same as eating it. Knowing nutritional facts about food is not the same as eating it. And understanding how it's farmed or transported, digested, metabolized in your body, mm-hmm. none of that is the same thing as actually eating. And so, I think Jesus is, that's what he's saying. Like, thinking about Jesus isn't the same as faith. Knowing facts about Jesus isn't faith. Understanding the Bible, even, as great as that is, that isn't faith. There's something deeper that's well beyond all that. And Jesus is saying it's like eating. So, it's like bringing him inside of you, inside your heart and your soul, and being united with him mysteriously. So, Warren Wiersbe summarized it this way. He said, just as you take food and drink within your body, and it becomes a part of you, so you must receive Jesus within your most innermost being uh, so that he can give you life. I think that's a beautiful way of saying it. And also, knowing that this is in, uh, when we read the rest of John 6, we see more of the context, and this is happening during Passover, during the Feast of Passover. So, I think it's safe to say there that it's the, this verse, these verses are not there by accident, right? Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, One of the most important lessons I can give people listening or watching today is that nothing is in the Bible by accident. The folks who wrote 
the Gospels, for instance, in this case, the Gospel of John, spent a long time carefully thinking how to organize what they were writing. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful once you see the organization and and the art behind his writing. And, of course, God is the ultimate author, and so he's not going to put something there that doesn't belong there. Um, But, yeah, you mentioned the Passover. So, verse 4 just mentions in passing, get it, passing, it's the (laughs) Passover. I didn't mean to do that, but, yeah, thank you. So, I mean, that really sets the context for all of chapter 6, that little verse that we might just look over. Um, And it's really interesting. Like, one of the commentaries I consulted said that all of Jesus' I am statements, remember that list of seven I read earlier? Mm -hmm. All of those are actually, if you look at it, they are presented during one of the Jewish festivals or feasts. And so, Jesus is clarifying the real meaning of those things. He's saying that all the activities and the stories of Judaism, that he is what they were pointing to all along. So, in this case, getting back to John chapter 6, in this case in particular, Jesus is presenting himself as the fulfillment of the Passover. Mm -hmm. And what was Passover? Okay, so, among other things, they celebrated that God provided manna, bread from heaven, that sustained people after they escaped from Egypt. And Jesus says, that points to me. I'm actually what that signified. I am the living bread, the bread from heaven. And during Passover, they think about the Passover lamb, of course. So, in the Old Testament, you can read about how uh, God miraculously rescued the people from Egypt and their slavery there. And to do that, he killed all the firstborn among the Egyptians And the way that the Israelites escaped that punishment was by slaughtering a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb that they called the Passover lamb. And that lamb took the place of the firstborn son. So, the lamb was a substitution, you know. And Jesus is saying, actually, that points to me as well. I am the real substitute uh, that will save you from death and the penalty of sin. And... um, You really see that come out, especially in verse 51. That was something we read earlier. Jesus says this, This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And that's a lot of words from the original language that really are part of the sacrificial vocabulary. So, the word for flesh is something that you would read in the nature of a sacrifice being made. Um, The word for even, that little tiny word, really means in place of, uh, on behalf of, instead of. So, verse 51 is indicating exactly what Jesus is talking about, and he's talking about himself being a sacrifice in place of us for the sins of the world. Hmm. So, that's the biggest context, and that's why I always preach context, context, context. If you come to our church or if you listen to this podcast, I don't expect you to remember a lot of what I talk about. I'm, I'm not deluded, but I hope you will remember context, context, context. It is so important, and it'll help you just draw out all the meaning and see how beautiful and trustworthy the Bible really is. Sure. And part of bringing the context together is looking at the Old and New Testaments together. And there are a lot of links between John 6 and the book of Exodus, like you were just talking about, um, when you start looking for them and reading through there. One thing that I that I noticed is the grumbling crowds <laughs> as you read through this. That's interesting. What's that about? Yeah, I'm so glad we're past that nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's a theme throughout the whole Bible, right? They 
They did that in the Old Testament. They did it in the yeah. New Testament. And we do now. I'll put myself in the same category. We grumble now as Christians, as God's Absolutely. followers. Right. It's human nature. But let's not excuse ourselves too easily. It's also a serious sin. It's the sin of disbelief, a lack of trust in God in this case. Hmm. So look back in the Old Testament. The first grumbling, it was when Moses... Uh, rescued the people from Egypt. You know, he saved their lives miraculously. God provided for them miraculously with manna. But they got tired of that. They they didn't want that every single day. They wanted a little variety. They wanted some meat. Um, so they grumbled. They complained. And then in John 6, here's the parallel. Are you ready? So Jesus is saying, I'm going to provide for you bread from heaven. And it's even better than the Old Testament bread. This mm-hmm. is actually a sacrifice for your sins. This is the thing you need more than anything else. This is the best gift that I could possibly give. And the people are saying, no, no, thanks. We don't want any bread. We, we just, we're good, thanks. Uh, and so I think that's what it's like to be human and what it's like to try to lead humans, by the way. Yeah. Sometimes you have to give them what they need, not what they want. And I think that's what Jesus was doing here. Yeah, we hear more grumbling beginning a little bit later in verse 62. So let's look at that part of the story. It's how the people reacted to Jesus' bold statement that we've been talking about. So uh, in verse 60, it says, On hearing it, many of the disciple, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> if you get beyond the part we read earlier, you see how people react, and yeah. you know it's hard for them to take it in. And Jesus said, if that was hard, if that offends you, how about this? I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to go back to where I came from, which is heaven, yeah. you know, with God the Father. And yeah, it turns out that was a pretty offensive thing to say to those people. They really were offended by it. <laughs> and the end of the story is that it was just too much for some of these people, and they turned away. Oh. So, verse 65, uh, he went on, went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Well, Lord, who would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Mm. So that's one of my favorite verses of all time. It's, it's placed similarly, similarly as the central part of Mark's gospel, yeah. where Jesus makes this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, and the whole story starts to change after that point. And I think that's the equivalent here in John's gospel. It's, it's a central point. Peter is saying, Yeah, what you're saying is difficult, and I don't know if it makes complete sense yet, but we got nowhere else to go. We realize you are speaking the words of life. You are the only source of life, and we're going to stick with you. There's an interesting teaching on God's sovereignty woven throughout this chapter, too, and you just hit on one piece of it, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them, in verse 65. Verse 37 adds another piece of the puzzle. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's not the topic of this podcast in particular, but yeah. if you're wondering about predestination, about God's sovereignty over everything, even salvation, yeah. just read John 6 a couple times, right? So, we just read, no one can come unless the Father enables them. 
and all who the Father does uh, draw, they will come. Yeah. So theologically speaking, it, it seems pretty airtight to me. Um, so, but let's leave that for another <laughs> podcast. I know that's controversial, um, but really, it's it's more than just a theological debate, and Absolutely. it's more than just a bunch of mumbo jumbo and you know arguments. It really speaks to your soul too. So look in verse thirty nine. Uh, and this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So, even the, the, con- the uh, concept of perseverance of the saints, even that is right here in John 6 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of uh, Calvinism. That's part of election and predestination. And it's something that really comforts your soul, right? What a comfort that I know my salvation doesn't rest in my own ability to be good enough or to to keep it, to persevere, but in God's preserving me. Um, I like to look at it like this. He he started it. We read that earlier. And he's going to finish it. We just read that in verse 39. Yeah, that's good. So, that's how the chapter ends. Some of his disciples or the followers stopped following him and mm-hmm. fell away. Um, so does that leave us with a choice then too? Yeah, I think that's why a lot of the Bible stories end this way to to show you the people in front of Jesus then and there had a choice to make, and yep. you know we do too. Everybody reading that story faces that same choice. So I like to be as practical as possible. Uh, I know we get deep into theology sometimes, but I also like to be practical. <laughs> and you know the the. The take-home for today's episode is you are more than material stuff. Whoever you are listening to this, wherever you are, you are more than flesh and bones. You're more than the physical world. Um, you have physical needs. You need bread to, to power and, and stay alive in your physical body, but you also have spiritual needs as well. That's what this text is all about mm. and how we shouldn't neglect spiritual nourishment. And let's be blunt as we end this episode and as we end this series, um, your spiritual need is very specific. And whether you realize it or not, it's forgiveness. So I like to look at it like this. If there is a God, and you have to admit that's a possibility, whoever you are, <laughs> that's a possibility. And if there is a God, uh, part, of, part of that package deal is he's perfect. Uh, and that is a giant problem for anyone who isn't perfect like me. Uh, we all deserve punishment. None of us can exist in God's presence unless someone takes that punishment that we deserve in our place. And that's what John 6 is all about. Mm-hmm. Let's not get lost in the metaphor. Let's not get lost in all the detail. Jesus is trying to say, hey, you're aware that your body needs bread. I want you to be aware your soul needs something too. It needs what I'm offering, and it needs a blood sacrifice. That's why he said, drink my blood. It's metaphorical, but <laughs> hang with me. It's it's blood that we need. It's a blood sacrifice. It's blood shed in our place. Mm-hmm. So I want to end the podcast today and the entire series by drawing out one final link from the Old Testament. If you've made it this far, congratulations. We're almost <laughs> home. But I think this is so profound. This is a great place to end. And I wasn't smart enough to uncover this link myself. N.T. Wright pointed this out in one of his books. So, we're reading weird language about drinking blood. Yeah. And that appears, that phrase, you know, the, the concept of drinking blood appears in more than one place in the Old Testament. And here's one that people often miss. Second Samuel 23. 
uh, beginning in verse 15. So, David, he was in a battle against the Philistines, and the Bible says he longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So, the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines and drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. He said, Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. So, David is making a metaphorical statement here. He's saying, is this that I'm holding in my hand, is this not the blood of the men who risked their lives to get it for me? I can't have that, you know, I'm not going to be responsible for that. So, he poured it out. So, the water wasn't blood, obviously, literally, but metaphorically, it was the blood of the men who had risked their lives for him. And he wasn't going to drink it. By the way, in that culture, blood represented life. That's why they weren't allowed to eat meat with the blood in it. That was the life, and life belongs to God. So, it's a good Jewish person. David refused to drink blood physically, and he refused to drink it metaphorically here. So, N.T. Wright says, David refused to drink the blood of his comrades that is to profit from the risk of their lives. Jesus, on the other hand, as the true Messiah, is going to do one better. He will put his life at risk, and he will actually lose it. And his comrades will profit from that death. They will drink his blood. Hmm. He will thirst, and he will quench their thirst by his death and all that it means. And so, I don't think I could say it any better than that. I'll just let the words of N.T. Wright stand. Um, What a good place to stop. You know, Jesus, in this passage, is inviting us to partake in the benefits of his death. He's giving us the best gift of all, and that is himself, Mm -hmm. all of him for us. And we're all invited by him to have our spiritual hunger and thirst fully met, and the only place they can be met, and that is in him, in Jesus. And that wraps up what I hope has been an interesting and helpful series. we got some great things on the horizon, so I hope you'll subscribe and maybe even leave a rating if you like it. (laughs) And if you have any questions or or ideas uh, for things you'd like to hear about, we'd love if you'd reach out and let us know. Absolutely. Have a good week. See you soon.